You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today, we continue in John's Gospel. This is just our second look at the Gospel. And I want you to think about someone who's a hero to you. Someone you look up to, someone that you admire, that you would love to emulate their life. It's somebody that you tend to really notice. They live great lives, don't they? Sometimes they're athletes, sometimes you're musicians, sometimes they may be political leaders, business leaders. They're people who do extraordinary things, leave a large footprint, and make a difference in human history. These are our heroes. And when we find somebody who's lived a great life, then we tend to examine that life a little more closely, a little more carefully. That being said, other than Jesus, because he's in a category unto himself, other than Jesus, if you could pick one person to be the greatest person in the history of the world, the most important person that you can learn from their life, who would that be? There's one person in the Bible, other than Jesus, of course, who is called the greatest person in the history of the world. That's a massive statement. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 7, and I'll paraphrase, of all the people who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. I bet you didn't study him in college. You don't learn about him in school. Nobody talks about him. He's the greatest person, according to Jesus, who lived in the history of the world. The angel Gabriel, this is Luke chapter 1, said to John the Baptist's dad before he ever arrived on the scene, he will be great in the sight of God. What makes John great? Well, his life is interesting. He's not a political leader. He's not an athlete. He's not a musician. He doesn't rule over an empire. He doesn't have very far to travel in his life. He's not rich. He's never married, doesn't have any kids. We may look at that and go, what kind of a great life is that? But here's something he did have, the Spirit of God. This is the key to John's greatness. We were told, again, this was Luke's gospel, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, that the hand of the Lord would be upon him. This is the language of the Bible, that God would work, that would work empowering the life of John, that not only is God's presence and power effective in John's life, but the Holy Spirit is going to show up and help John fulfill what God has him to do, what his calling and destiny in his life are. This is how you can be great. Not great in the eyes of the world, but great in the eyes of Jesus. That you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and fulfill what God has destined for you, whatever that might be, so you too can live a great life that honors and glorifies God and makes a difference. So we want to look at a couple of things about John and then three things that John the Baptist tells us about Jesus. 
So about John, let me say this to begin with. Humility helps you understand yourself. The two most important things you can learn in the Bible, who is God, who are you? And humility helps you learn about yourself. So two things we're going to learn in the Bible about John the Baptist from our passage, humility and service. He was a humble servant. This is where we pick up our story in the gospel of John. Now, this was John, John the Baptist testament. I know this is confusing. There's the gospel of John that we're reading, and he's talking about John the Baptist. There are some five different people named John in the New Testament. So here are two of them. It's the author of this gospel is John, but he is talking about the events in the life of John the Baptist in this passage. Now, this was John's testimony, John the Baptist's testimony, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am, the, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Let me tell you a bit about John. He was an outlaw. (laughs) This is Jesus' bold, rural cousin who grew up in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. He eats bugs and honey. I guess you could say he never saw the inside of a grocery store. Totally lived on the land. Wore a Jedi robe. But he had godly parents. And he comes from outside of the institution Now, what happens is that there's a religious organization. There's a religious institution. And if you want to be a leader, you've got to go through them. John doesn't do that. He just shows up and starts yelling at people, religious people, calling them to repent and be baptized. So all these religious types are trying to figure out who he is. He didn't get permission to do what he's doing, at least not from them. So they send a a committee, a delegation to check him out. And at this point, we would say that John is trending. He's gone viral. I mean, he's come out from the woods and everyone is paying attention to him and crowds are surrounding him. So the religious folks have questions. Are you the Christ? No. Elijah then? No. Well, are you the prophet associated with with the Messiah from Deuteronomy 18.15? No. Before we go any further, look at the opportunity that John has that's, that's been posed to him. There was a need for spiritual leadership. He was getting all the attention. Why not have John just declare himself to be something great? Because he knows that's not God's will for him. John knew who he was, knew what God made him to do, knew what God wanted him to be. That's humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Here's what I mean by that. John doesn't think of himself as, as, as less, meaning, you know, I, I, don't have, I don't have the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't have any gifts. That's not where John's coming from. Instead, he thinks of himself less, meaning he thinks more of Jesus. 
That's why later John is going to say this about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. The root word for humility is literally to know your place. Some of us may have aspired to positions that God is not destined for you. So be humble. Accept who you are and the position God has for you. Others of you, God wants you to be more of an influential leader. And you're so concerned with yourself, you've not taken that opportunity to do what God has called you to do. That's not humility. That's pride. You're still thinking about yourself. For some of you, humility will look like serving in a humble position. For some of you, humility will look like serving in a leadership position. So let me ask you, in our culture, is humility a virtue? No, it's not. Can you get a degree in humility? No, I tried. I did really well. Some of you got that. Thank you. But the thing is, God honors humility. It says in James and Peter and and other places in the Bible, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves and he will lift you up in time. But here's the thing. You can't go around saying how humble you are because as soon as you do that, you've blown it. But you should actively pursue humility because this world actively pursues pride. And that's our problem. Pride is me first, me only, me center, my name, my fame, my achievements, my glory. Humility is Jesus first, Jesus only, Jesus center, Jesus' name, his fame, his achievements, his glory. So key number one to John's greatness is humility. And let me say this, if you're in God's will, you're doing a great job living your life. You don't need to be someone you're not. You don't need to do something you can't. You don't need to be someone else. Understand who God made you to be, and you are great in the sight of God. And then it doesn't matter what the culture thinks. It matters what Christ thinks. The second thing about John's greatness. So humility is one of the things about John's greatness. The second is his serving. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now he's going to quote Isaiah 40 verse 3. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Uh, Who gave you authority? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. You see, Jesus has not yet come on the public scene. He's waiting in the wings. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Let me go back and and we'll talk about this group that was latest group to be mentioned. That's the Pharisees. Who were they? 
It seems like every time we hear their name, we, we read about them in the Bible, it's always negative. So who were they? Well, they were a very conservative religious group. Their name means, Pharisee means, separated ones. And they weren't all that bad to start. Here's how they got started. The culture is wandering away from God. People are sinning. Their behavior is inexcusable. People are proud of things they should be ashamed of. The culture is is declining. Morality is descending. We need to separate ourselves. Sound familiar? So the Pharisees start out committed to getting back to the Bible. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that, right? And perhaps the most famous Pharisee is a guy named Saul of Tarsus. You know him as the Apostle Paul. One of the most powerful guys in the first century. But the Pharisees got off track. What happened? Well, let me say this. We've got the Bible. I love the Bible. I love God. I love Jesus. I have as our hope and prayer for every single one of us to pay so much attention to God's word that we can't help but have it direct our daily life. But at the same time, if we don't know how to love well, we will become just like the Pharisees. Here was the problem with the Pharisees. They had this vast array of knowledge and little to no love. The Apostle Paul would say this, knowledge puffs up in pride. It's not that you're supposed to leave knowledge behind, but what you're supposed to carry forward in your relationships with each other is both knowledge and love. It's about knowing the Bible and the God of the Bible and loving God and loving people. Let me make this really clear. You're not biblical unless you're also relational. When people came to Jesus and basically asked, well, what's the message of the Bible? What's really the heart of everything you're trying to teach? His answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's relational. The problem with the Pharisees is that they wanted to make the point and not build on a relationship. It became all about the laws for them. So it was all truth, no grace. And as a result, they became very arrogant, very proud, very self-righteous, very judgmental. And that's why John is calling them to repentance. And it's also why they're going to have an issue with John and in a little while, a huge issue with Jesus. So back to John, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals, but I'm preparing the way for, I am pointing the way to Jesus. So let me say this, you don't have to do great things. Anything you do for Jesus is a great thing. We tend to think the greatness is in what we do. The greatness is in who we do it for. So if you raise your kids, you forgive your enemies, you pray for them, you pay your bills to the glory of God, well, that's greatness. It's a matter of being a servant. There was a time when some of the disciples came to Jesus and asked, how do we become the greatest? 
Now, what I love about Jesus is that in response to that question, he doesn't rebuke them. He redirects them. Oh, you want to be great? Then become servant of all. You see, in the culture, it's about rising up. It's climbing the ladder. In the kingdom, it's about descending down. That's what Jesus did. The path of greatness is paved with humility and service. And John's example is that it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. He's saying Jesus is the only one that matters. And then John the Baptist is going to tell us three things about Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Now, at this point, no one knows Jesus. Everyone knows John. And John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Most religions have a false concept of God, that God only likes their kind and not other kinds. So it's whatever our nation, our, our race, our heritage, those are the ones God likes and he doesn't like everyone else. Jesus comes for the whole world, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all cultures. We live in a world that's fractured, divided, separated by all kinds of things. And the only way that unity is going to ever come is if someone outside of ourselves, someone greater than us, pulls us together. His name is Jesus He's the most popular person in the history of the world. He has the most long-standing movement in the history of the world, the church. And he calls to himself people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language. And in the kingdom of God, there's going to be a throne. And seated on that throne is Jesus. And surrounding that throne is people from all places and all times, all celebrating Jesus, all worshiping him as the lamb who took away the sin of the world. John says, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, biologically, chronologically, John is about six months older than his cousin Jesus. But what John the Baptist is saying is, Jesus is eternal. He's always been around. Now, the first thing that John the Baptist tells us about Jesus is that he is the Lamb of God. What does that mean? Remember, these are Jewish people. So go all the way back to the time of the Exodus, where the Pharaoh of Egypt has enslaved God's people oppress them, abuse them, and God wants to deliver them. And so what God does is that he gave his people, Pharaoh and his people, opportunity after opportunity to repent because that's how great our God is. And he basically says to them, let my people go or trouble's gonna come to you. And God sends Moses to give warning after warning. And he sends plague after plague until the final, the 10th plague, which was the killing of all firstborn males in the family. Death comes to every family with this exception. 
those whose homes are literally covered with the blood of the lamb. You see, God's people were instructed to take a perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb, symbolic of the sinlessness so that that animal would act as a substitute for the family and their sin. They were to take that lamb's blood and paint it over the doorposts of their homes, both as an act of faith, hey, this is what we're supposed to do, God told us to do this, and as an act that sin is to be covered. Because you see, either I have to pay for my own sin, or someone who is perfect and sinless has to pay it for me. We know this event as the Passover. God's wrath passes over those who, trusting in faith, have painted their doorposts with the blood of the Lamb. All of this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. We'll see it again in a moment when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's why the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Here comes Jesus. And John cries out, here he is. After hundreds of years of waiting, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is here. The solution has come. Now, look, I know that every single one of us that has come into this room, we've got problems. But sin is our greatest problem. Separation from God. And Jesus comes to take away sin. Jesus comes to forgive sin and enter into a relationship with you to then help you with all your other problems. Now, if you're a Christian, you already know this. You love this. You celebrate this. And if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, what are you trying to do, convert me? Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. You need Jesus because you have sin. And unless his death covers you, you will have to pay with an eternal death. You need Jesus. Now, the second thing about Jesus that we're told is that he is spirit-filled. John the Baptist, more of him. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So John is baptizing people for their sins. And when Jesus comes to the Jordan to be baptized by John, it's not because Jesus has sin. He doesn't have any sins. He comes because it's about being revealed. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is saying, look, I really do know who Jesus is because I was there when God told us who he was. He's talking about the baptism. And in the baptism of Jesus, the whole Trinity was there. 
Jesus going in and coming out of the water, symbolic of his death, burial, and resurrection. God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's the most significant person that's lived in the history of the world. John is the greatest mere mortal. Jesus is the greatest of all. He is fully God, fully man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. While on earth, he retained all of his divine attributes, but he chose not to avail himself of them constantly so that he would be humble and he could sympathize with us. The Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained on him, never departed from him. What does that tell you about Jesus' life? Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what it means to live a spirit-filled life? It means to be like Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. If you're weird, that's on you. The Holy Spirit makes you like Jesus. That's why we should constantly pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a one-time thing. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek grammatical language is keep on being filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you pray for the Holy Spirit to come in power daily so that you can transform your mind. You can transform your desires to be more and more like Jesus. You see, Jesus' life isn't just to be admired. Jesus' life is to be experienced. And then the last thing John the Baptist tells us about Jesus, and I'm going to use this passage from the um, English Standard Version. He says, I have seen... And have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The New Testament refers to Jesus as the Son of God about 125 times. Jesus calls God his Father about 75 times. This is the intimate relationship of Father and Son. And Jesus goes on to say, he and the Father are one. That means Jesus and the Father share the same divine attributes. They share the same eternal authority. Jesus is the Son of God. That's a declaration of his divinity, that he is God walking on earth. And those who heard him understood this. Fast forwarding a little bit into John, here's what it said to us in John chapter 5. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. What Jesus says is, he is my father, I am his son. They said, you can't say that because you're saying that you and God are equal. Is that what Jesus is saying? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. 
If you receive me, you receive him. If you reject me, you reject him. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His authority is my authority. I have good news for you. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ lived a spirit-filled life and gives you the Holy Spirit to live a powerful new life. And Jesus is the Son of God, that he is alive and well. He is ruling and reigning, that he rules over a kingdom that will never end. And he sends you the Holy Spirit that you can be filled by his presence and power. And that gives you the identity of a child of God. And that means God loves you. God cares for you. God's heart is for you and God's eternity is with you. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.